Welcome to Faith Foundations with Open the Word with Circle of Friends podcast. I'm your host, Gwen McCaslin, for this discipleship series. I'm glad you're joining us today. This is part two of Galatians. Um, And so this is, uh, we're picking up where we left off, which we're actually in the book of Acts. Um, The thing about the book of Acts is it's the history book of the New Testament. So anytime you open one of the letters that is written to a very specific place, time, persons, um, you can go back to the book of Acts and most times you can find in real, like a real time um, illustration of what's going on at the time. Like, not illustration, but uh, something that has been preserved to tell you what the dynamics were going on in town or in the surrounding area. And so that is particularly true in the book of Galatians because you can really, from the from Acts chapter 13, you can really feel the Jewish community in town and how powerful they were. And you can al- also feel the Gentile population in town and how they were already at odds. And so when the gospel comes in, it obviously, Paul comes in with Barnabas and they go immediately to the synagogue and it's presented to them. They get excited about it and they want him back a second day. And then you get... A this huge turnout. And you got to love this because it says next Sabbath, nearly the whole city assembled to hear the word of the Lord. I want you to just imagine that because that would have been hundreds of thousands of people. And the one thing I learned from studying the book of or the town of Corinth is that um, city states in this region would have been very used to orators coming to town, speakers. Okay. Kind of like maybe Ted talks. Okay, except that they weren't pithy. They weren't um, very concise. They would have been very wordy at length. And they would have been very eloquent and very well-spoken and poetic. And um, and because it was an art form, um, kind of like an installation artwork, but except that it was a verbal presentation or soliloquy, uh, so to speak. And so uh, basically they were used to standing around and listening to somebody talk and present something. Um, and so in the city of Corinth, when Paul comes in, one thing that's different is he does not charge them uh, to hear him speak, which would have been something that was very much done. You would become a patron of a orator that you really liked um, and you would basically financially support his livelihood and his life. Um, kind of like the arts were commissioned in um, uh, in the Renaissance era and so on and so forth. You would have patrons of the arts and they would support specific art- um, artists as they did their work um, and they would get self-portraits out of it and various different perks along the way. Anyway, so it kind of worked a little bit that way. And I would imagine that in the church or the communities of Galatia specifically that this is talking about, it's the same world. Um, And so to gather, to listen to somebody is probably um, a pretty common occurrence, kind of like a, um, a rally for, you know, a candidate coming to town, except that this was definitely much better attended. And so that's kind of the idea of what's going on. But when that happens, the Jews get jealous, okay? Because it's not quite the Jewish message. It's a little bit more than. Um, and so they start actually contradicting Paul all over the place and arguing with him. Um, and so they go from really receiving his message to all of a sudden battling it. Um, and basically, Paul and Barnabas's reaction is, okay, fine, we'll go to the Gentiles. And the Gentiles go, what? Really? 
awesome. And they just rejoice in the fact that this is being offered to them. Uh, And so you can see the dynamic of the Jews versus the Gentiles in town. What you need to understand is the Jews would have been very wealthy Jews and probably had quite a bit of power because of that wealth. Um, The any Roman citizens in town would have had power because of the Roman government. Um, And so you have kind of this clash. You can feel it, can't you? And so that clash works its way into the church over things like legalistic things because the Jewish people who come to know Christ, um, they have trouble leaving behind the old covenant. And so they kind of drag it in and look at some of these Gentile believers and go, oh, oh, wait a minute, why did I have to be circumcised and you don't? I think you should have to be circumcised too. And that would have been very much a distinction that would have been made in the Jewish um, faith previous to the church age because um, you could be a follower of Yahweh and not have been circumcised and not follow all the rules. You would be considered what they called God-fearing, okay? And that would have been a group of Gentiles who believed in God. Um, And, you know, they might have even been allowed in certain portions of worship or um, included in maybe the reading of Old Testament scriptures and such. They weren't full allowed full access, but they would have been allowed some privileges um, in acknowledgement of their belief in Yahweh. Okay, so moving on, let's pick up in chapter 14. Um, they have just shook the dust off of their feet uh, from this town and headed to Iconium. Um, And so they enter, uh, verse 1, the first thing they do is they go to the synagogue. Now, I want you to understand, they would have stuck to major city-states that had a large enough Jewish population in order to have a synagogue, okay? And so this is very important because you didn't build a synagogue for like 12 people. You had to have a certain set number of people in town to justify a synagogue because, remember, the Jewish people had to support their synagogue, Um. And so synagogues were something that was built out of the intertestamental period after Alexander the Great came through. Um, The Jews had scattered by this time, and they were living all over. And one of the things during that time frame is that a lot of the Jews that had scattered were no longer able to speak it fluently. Um, the Jewish language or read it or write it. Uh, And so the Old Testament scriptures, which were in Hebrew, would largely have been unreadable to a portion of the the Hebrew population. And so, um, you know, they, to combat that, you know, they needed to learn Hebrew again, some of them. And so what you had is you had all of these basically elementary schools start um, to teach the Jewish people how to read Hebrew again. Um, and so they would have, you know, they would have had the Koine and the Hebrew back and forth, um, but they would have learned to read and write Hebrew, um, and they would have learned the Old Testament uh, law and the prophets. Um, and so a good Jewish boy by the age of 13 would have been able to pretty much have memorized the entire um, first five books of the Bible, the Torah. Um, he would have been able to recite large portions of scripture by rote. Um, there would have been songs and things that would have had a lot of help to that. But it, very much a lot of this would have been memorized oral 
stuff that they would have just known and rehearsed in their heads. And so by the time we get to Paul's day, synagogue school is very established. And then what would have happened is, you know, you would obviously have Pharisees and Sadducees that would be teaching these schools, and they would look for gifted students. And whenever they had a gifted student, they would use their contacts and find an appropriate teacher. Um, And so uh, these older teachers who would gather a following of, of people and Uh, basically people to disciple or mentor in the faith, uh, they would look for these gifted students. And so that would have been what happened with Paul. Um, He would have eventually ended up under Gaius, um, and evidently who was a very, very, very famous and um, well-known scholar for the Hebrew faith. And so, you know, him laying out that mentoring heritage would have earned him a lot of respect at these synagogues. Um, And so it gave him a foot to literally walk into the town of like Iconium and walk right into a synagogue. And every, every Pharisee there would have gone, Oh, this is Paul. Okay. And so his knowledge of the word, they naturally, because he used to be a Pharisee and he would have been higher status than they were, they would initially just give him the floor. Um, And so that's what happened actually at the end of chapter 13 is you see them literally after the reading of the word, literally give him the floor. Now this is very early in Paul's uh, missionary journeys. And so you also need to understand that some of these guys would have heard of Paul by by tradition, and they would have heard that he's all of a sudden now following the way, but he wouldn't maybe necessarily have become an enemy of all the Jews yet. Um, now, eventually, he would become enemy number one. He would be the number one on the hit list, so to speak, for the Jewish faith. Um, but at this point, this would have been his first missionary journey, And you can see it start in these couple of chapters. And so let's keep going in chapter 14. Um, He enters the synagogue of the Jews together um, and spoke in a manner that a large number of people believed, both Jews and Greeks. But the Jews who disbelieved stirred up the minds of the Gentiles and embittered them against the brethren. Therefore, they spent a long time there speaking boldly with reliance upon the Lord, who was testifying to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. Now, I also want to just lay this out here right now. Um, One thing you have to understand is they were coming into a lost community sharing the gospel. Okay, and so one of the things that God did through the Holy Spirit is that he allowed signs and wonders to accompany them. And he did that for a purpose. He did it to validate the message, the gospel of Christ. Okay, so I want you to understand that healings and miracles and the like, their purpose is very specifically to validate the message of the word of God, the gospel. Um, and so you need to understand that. So th- a lot of times we'll see overseas that there's a lot of miracles and things like that when, you know, missionaries come to town and things. And God does the same thing today in those places where the message of the gospel needs to stand out. 
because of the darkness maybe of the community and the spiritual forces that are at work. And so a lot of times he'll accompany that message with miracles. Now, we don't see that in the modern day church because quite frankly, the message isn't going into a place where it's not familiar. Um, It's going into a place where a lot of people are familiar and they've just decided they don't care about it. Um, In any case, I I just want to point out the purpose for the miracles here because I think it's important to keep that in mind Um, because what we see today is going to match what we see in Acts um, because God is consistent. He does not change. Um, Okay, so let's move on a little bit here. But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. And then when an attempt was made by both the Gentiles and the Jews with their rulers to mistreat and stone them, when they became aware of it, they fled to the cities of Lyconia, Lystra, and Derby and the surrounding region. Okay, that right there is Galatia. That is that region, okay? Um, and so this is talking about the region that this letter of Galatians is sent to. And this is why. You can feel the conflict with the Jews and how much they're attacking uh, the body of Christ in this town. Uh, And they continued to preach the gospel. At Lystra, a man was sitting who had no strength in his feet and lame from his mother's wound and had never walked. This man was listening to Paul as he spoke. And when he had fixed his gaze on him and had seen that he had the faith to be made well said with a loud voice, Stand up on your feet. And the man leaped up and began to walk. The crowd saw what Paul had done. They raised their voices, saying in the Lyconian language, The gods have come, become like men and have come down to us. Okay, so their reaction to see the healing is to assume that uh, they're dealing with, like, gods. Because remember, this region is also influenced by Hellenistic and and. Roman thought. Well, the Greeks love their gods and goddesses, right? That's why we have temples and pagan worship all over the place in these regions. They also, the Romans, took the Greek gods and made their own and created their own pantheon of gods, so to speak. And so these guys are watching and they're like, oh my goodness. And that's their only explanation. you got to just, I mean, my heart just breaks for compassion for these people. You have to admit that Paul probably did too, but you get this, almost this crowd crazy about, oh my goodness, Zeus is here in person. He's come down. Um, And so you get this crowd that gets all stirred up, assuming that Paul and Barnabas um, one is Zeus and others Hermes. And they, uh, verse 12 says that they assume Paul's Hermes because he was the chief speaker. The priest, priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought ox and garlands to the gate and wanted to offer sacrifice with the crowds. Uh, now, can you imagine having coming into town and trying to share the gospel and having to deal with that? <laughs> Oh my goodness. But when the apostles Paul and Barnabas had heard of it, they tore their robes, which is honestly, it's a sign of profound grief when you do that, um, and rushed out into the crowd saying, men, why are you doing these things? We are only men, the same nature of you, and preach the gospel to you that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that's in them. And the generations gone by, he permitted all the nations to go their own ways. I want to just point out right now that earlier we saw a defense for the Jewish faith. 
that was a beautiful description of the the entire Old Testament story of God with his people Israel. Right here, we're going to see Paul do the exact same thing, but for the Gentile believers. And so he says he did not leave himself without witnesses in that he did good and gave you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons and satisfied your heart with food and gladness. Even saying these things with difficulty, they restrained the crowds from offering sacrifice to them. But the Jews came over from Antioch and Iconium. So forgive me, but the pain in the butts (laughs) that had caused them so many problems back in Uh, uh, Antioch and Iconium come over and having won over the crowds, they stone Paul and drag him out of the city and supposing him for dead. Verse 20 says, while the disciples stood around him, he got up and entered the city. The next day he went away with Barnabas to Derbe. After they had preached the gospel to that city and had many disciples, they returned to Lystra and Iconium and to Antioch. So they retraced their steps back strengthening the souls of disciples and encouraging them to continue in the faith, saying, though many tribulations, you must enter the kingdom of God through many, sorry, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders over them in every church, having prayed with fasting, they they commended them to the Lord in whom they had believed. And they passed through Uh, Pisidia, and came unto Pamphylia. And when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went down to Attia. And from there they sailed to Antioch, which was their home-sending church, remember? Um, From which they had been commended to the grace of God for their work that they should accomplish. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they began to report all of the things that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. They spent a long time with the disciples. And then in 15, some men went down from Judea and began teaching the brethren uh, that unless you're circumcised you, after the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Paul and Barnabas had a great dissension and debate with them. The brethren determined that Paul and Barnabas and some of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders concerning this issue. And that's where you get to see that first church council. And so that's chapter 15. Here's the thing. If you've never read the context for these, it's actually really beautiful to sit in one book and really dive into what's going on in the town, what's going on in this region. Um, And so hopefully this has been a really good, under a, a good illustration of how Acts really is the history book that makes the book of Galatians and their struggles come alive. That you can understand what the church at Galatia was facing when they chose to follow Christ. Um, Same thing with the church at Corinth. To understand what the dynamics were of the town that they lived in and how being a double port city would have impacted them. How having the games coming to town every other year would have impacted them. And you can see it in the books. Um, That's what I want you to understand is that these letters, especially this part of the New Testament, it is so important to make sure you understand the context of these books because, I mean, you don't want to take a love letter between grandma and grandpa and apply what's written in it to situations that have nothing to do 
and cannot be compared. I mean, it's kind of, I mean, it would be silly to pull a sentence out of a love letter between grandpa and grandma and apply it to, uh, you know, your dog. <laughs> I mean, in the same way, and I'm, I'm sorry, I'm making fun and that's such a crazy example. But a lot of times when we open the word of God, we treat it like it's just this big book and we look for a cool verse to take and apply to something in our life. And so we almost take it and turn it into a, hmm, what's it got in it? Is there anything I can pull out of it? Um, And we don't treat it with the respect of understanding that there's different types of literature that has different purposes. There's, you know, there's different things going on depending on where you've opened the Bible to. Um, And so you can't just read and read and read until you find something you're like, oh, I wanted to know what to do with, you know, my paycheck. Well, right there. I'm a, this, this tells me what I can do with it. You know, if that passage doesn't talk about how to handle your money and that wasn't the intent of the original author, you're in danger of taking a passage and making it say what you want it to say. Um, and if you have to think, like, I just challenge you. We don't, we sit there and go, well, what's the problem with that? We don't understand that this is the word of God that's been written ultimately through the hands of man by a holy God who is so much bigger and other than us, so that we can understand who he is, who we are, and and how much he's given for us. And so he's going to kind of take seriously how we read it because he's inspired it. He's breathed it. It's, it's, it's how he's explains himself to the world. You know, if if I write somebody a letter that explains my heart and the essence of who I am, I'm going to be very bent out of shape if it's taken to support things that I'm not okay with. If it's taken to see me in a way that is not who I am. And so I'm going to be protective of what I write to somebody and how it's read and used. And if it's used to attack my people or the person that I'm sending it to, I'm going to take that kind of serious. So, I mean, and that's just me and I'm just human. So the fact that God has written this, how much more is he going to take seriously how we read the word of God and what we do with it? You know, I um, I was talking with a friend this week about just how there seems to be such a cavalier approach to the Word of God and particularly to just basics like we're sinners and we're dead in our sin and we need a Savior. And I was uh, handed a pamphlet this week from a major denomination and I was struck reading the devotional that it included over Easter and um, it, there was no mention of sin and needing to become from death to life. It was none of that. Um, it actually went back to Genesis and made us co-creators. And I'm like, whoa, wow, wow, is that a complete lie? We are not co-creators with Christ, um, we, with God. We are not co-equal with God in creation in any form. We are the creation. We are what was made. Um 
And I just sat there and I was reading down through. And the other thing that was absent was this idea of the fall and sin and needing redemption. Um, And so how it was described was just that we have a dual nature. You know, that there's this part that wants God and the part that doesn't. And it's kind of at war. was kind of the gist of what was described. And it was kind of a a toss-up as to who was going to (laughs) win. And I just sat there and I thought, we've taken sin out of the equation. We've taken the need for salvation, the cost of sin is death, eternal separation from God, and it's completely gone. We've erased that. We don't want to talk about it. And I just sat there and I thought, we're trying to be kind. We're trying to tell everybody that they're children of God. We're trying to tell everybody that it's okay. God loves you. And unfortunately, we're going to be kind and send them to hell that way. Because we're not being clear that you are either a part of the body of Christ or you're not. Um, I just... I just sit in a day and an age where, you know, I wonder, are we clear about whether we are in God's family or whether we're not? You can't sit in the middle and just assume that you're born into this because you're not. You're born into sin because of Adam's choice, um, because Adam and Eve in that garden, we are not perfect. We all acknowledge that we're not perfect. But to God, that's a big deal. And so um, I'm going to direct you to Ephesians chapter 2. Open it. Read it. We are dead in our transgressions and sins. And so we, we need to be made alive. And that only happens through complete faith in Jesus Christ. Um, if you need to know more about that, please email us. You can email Faith Foundations directly. Uh, it's Faith Foundations Discipleship at gmail.com. You can email, email um, open the word. It is open the word podcast at gmail.com. Either one will eventually come to me. Um, and I would love to share with you and answer any questions that you have about the gospel. But we are coming to a time when your choice or your ability to choose may be done. And if you're not sure, I just want you to know that you can be sure. Um, so in any case, for those of you who are sure, um, I rejoice with you because Jesus is coming soon. And for those of you who are not sure, I just want to tell you that, oh, time is short. Time is short. All right. So I am going to go here, um, back to Galatians a little bit for the next couple minutes. Um, and just kind of point out some things in the book of, of, uh, Galatians. So I've just been talking about how we go from death to life, but I want to tell you in Galatians chapter 4, Paul's using another analogy. He's using the analogy of sonship and adoption. Um, And I I want to kind of point out what happens here. Uh, In that culture, a son would have no special rights um, any different than a slave in the home until he is named and adopted officially as the heir, a parent. And when he becomes the heir, then the game changes. But up until that point, there is no difference in that home of whether a child is a slave or the son, okay? Um, And so let's pick up in Galatians chapter 4. Now I say that as long as the heir is a child, he does not differ at all from the slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians uh, and stewards or managers until the date set by his father. So also we, while we were children, were held in bondage under the elemental things of the world. But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, 
born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts so that we are able to cry, Abba, Father. Therefore, you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then the heir, then an heir through God. I want to just point out here, if I'm picking a verse, what if I picked this one and did not consider its context? Because you are sons. And I looked at you and I said, see, there it says it, we're sons. Well, I've just missed what? I've just missed the fact of what's said up above. Okay, I want to keep reading because I want you to understand also the importance of that context. But let's keep reading. However, at that time, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those which by nature are no gods. Little g. But now that you have come to know God, or rather be known by God, how is it that you turn back again to weak and worthless elemental things? Okay, now remember, he is all about setting them free from those rules and those laws that govern the Old Testament, that old covenant, right? Um, so why are you, after receiving the grace, turning back to the rules is kind of what he's saying, to which you desire to be enslaved all over again? So in other words, are you giving up your sonship status to go back to the slave status? It's, it's the, ex, ex, the example that he's setting here. And, and you can feel how hard Paul is fighting for them to understand that they have been set free from the law. Okay? All right, so I'm going to leave that with you because that is one of the biggest things for Paul in this entire thing um, is to understand the freedom that they get as sons um, in their relationship with God. Okay, uh, that's all I've got for today. That it completes Galatians, and next time we'll pick up on Ephesians. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for listening today. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss any episodes. We'd love to hear from you, so find us on Facebook and Instagram at Open the Word Podcast or send us an email to openthewordpodcast at gmail.com. Is it time for you to plan a day trip with your peeps? Come and stay a while at Shia Market in Berlin. There is something for everyone, no matter what your taste or style may be. Visit the Village Gift Barn for your custom floral arrangements and timeless accessories for your home. Stroll upstairs to Shia's Style Boutique for your perfect outfit. Everything from accessories to shoes. Be inspired at country gatherings with decor from Modern Farmhouse to transitional design. Then meander through the gardens for a large selection of houseplants. And last but not least, order your perfect cup of brew at the Buggy Brew Coffee Company. End your day by gathering to relax in our courtyard. You will leave feeling connected and refreshed.